You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Yeah, and so I'm feeling the depression, and then I'm drinking because of it. And so uh, it finally came to a head, and I was like, I'm done. I'm sick of half-assed suicide attempts, and I'm sick of fucking this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do rehab, and if it doesn't work, I'm fucking ending it. No more fucking pills or anything, just getting a gun, blowing my brains out. And uh, so that really was the last-ditch effort. I called a fucking rehab clinic. Uh, they assessed me and did like some research on me and to talk to me about my childhood and yada, yada, yada. And they're like, yeah, bro, like you fucking need to be here. <laughs> so I went in and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you had a glorious weekend. I hope you've had a killer start to the week. I most certainly have. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to have teamed up with them to bring you Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal, which will be taking place on September 2nd at Corona Theatre. This year's event features Deicide performing their classic album Legion, as well as Cataclysm, who will be performing their classic album Serenity and Fire. Open up the gig, we got Inhuman Condition. Tickets are now on sale for Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal 2022. And they are selling very quickly, so you should absolutely pick up your ticket if you want to come to this unique metal and beer fest that is happening in my hometown via the link in the description of this podcast. I'm going to be there. You should come hang with me. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. I am super stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to rate it and write a review. Now, why do I want you to do that? You have to imagine that when someone is looking for a new podcast to listen to, what do they do? They scroll down, they look at the reviews, they look at the ratings, and if those reviews and ratings are favorable, they are most probably going to give that podcast a chance. So by you taking a few minutes to write a review for the podcast, you might actually be the person that helps sway someone's decision to become a future Vox and Hops head, and that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm with Adam Roethlisberger of Vitriol. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 340. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with Adam Roethlisberger of Vitriol. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm uh, <clears throat> out here in a parking lot in Rochester, uh, and it's uh, storming. So, good time to be. Uh, good time to be out here. We, we will just let everyone know that you are parked. You are not driving the van that you're sitting in, and you're sitting in a van because you're on tour. And I'm goddamn jealous. I wish Cryptops he was on tour. So, massive cheers to yeah. you for for hanging out with me uh on a, a, a show day you know I'm, I'm fucking up your routine a bit here so thank you for that yeah it was a short drive so uh not too bad it's just we got hit by the storm so it was a little uh unexpected on uh when we were gonna arrive but we're in town we're ready to rock everything's good to go man i appreciate you very very much for taking the time uh let's jump straight into the shitty questions that i like to ask to start these off recently uh the question that most interviewers 
poke at people for the, you know, the beginning of an interview, uh, let's jump straight into the funness of how did you cope with the glorious years, plural, of 2020, 2021, and most certainly, hopefully not, most of 2022? How have you been coping with this glorious, glorious time, a glorious time to be alive? Oh, man. Um, I got to say, I, I don't think it's affected me as much as it's affected other people, although it, it certainly has. I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician and I, I love touring. I love being out here. This is, this is my life. But uh, so that getting shut down for two years sucked. Um, it did give us an opportunity to uh, make lemonade from lemons and uh, try to write the next record, which we've made quite a bit of progress on. Um, and as far as my job goes, I, uh, you know, I screen print T-shirts with a couple of friends back home. And uh, so we didn't take any time off. We were actually able to keep pushing through. So uh, I was very fortunate to have held on to my job. Uh, the lack of live music has been really frustrating. Uh, both for me as a player and me as a fan. Um, but uh, ultimately, you know, I think, uh, you know, shit happens and we're, we're coping with it. We're moving on and let's get back out there and get back to the real world, you know? Yes, please. And uh, I was sitting here thinking the last time I saw an extreme metal show before I played my show in December, the last show that I went to before the pandemic back in 2020 was Vader abysmal dawn <laughs> hideous divinity and you guys so so hell yeah man. it was the last <laughs> show that i went to at fufun electric here in montreal february 17th i was i always thought it was the last show i wasn't sure if it was ingested or you guys but it was definitely you guys and i remember watching you and being like holy shit this band is intense <laughs> yeah on uh on both the tour that i'm on now and the one that we just wrapped up with uh giant fetus a couple months ago like that was a very common thing people were like vader and vitriol's last show i saw before mm -hmm. the pandemic i mean that took us right up to the end of february and we actually had a tour in europe with christian um scheduled for march and uh we we were about five days away from flying over there when this all when the shutdown was happening and management was like if you guys go over there i can't guarantee when you'll be able to come back exactly so. yeah because i had friends that were in that situation uh alexander kendrick uh to name drop him vox and hops mm -hmm. alumni was over there and had to rush home in that panic mode there you know so luckily for yeah, you guys you yeah. guys weren't over there yet it sucks you had to cancel a tour with christian because that would be perfect package for you guys but oh man we were we were very much looking forward to that gruesome man like killer killer times but uh you know we're not going anywhere. I'm sure we'll get plenty more opportunities to hang with both those bands and get back over to Europe. Absolutely. This is a sober Vox and Hops episode. Uh, back in January, I put a call out on my Facebook uh, asking if there are any sober artists that would want to hang out with me for my sober February content. Uh, there was so many people that contacted me that... I decided to just keep doing these sober episodes because uh, I think it's an important message that we should br talk about to uh, spread the awareness of sobriety and uh, having a balanced relationship with alcohol. So this episode is sponsored by Pitch Black North, the Satanic Tea Company. Uh, Dominic, the Satanic Tea Lord himself, uh, sent you a care package full of tea, which uh, makes me very happy. So massive cheers to Dominic. Massive cheers to Pitch Black North, and if you guys want to try Pitch Black North, you should head over to their website, pitchblacknorth.com, use the promo code VOXHOPS15, you will save 15% off of your entire purchase. Let's talk about tea. Let's talk about what you're drinking. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. But today's a sober one, so what are you drinking on your side? Oh my goodness, man. I am drinking this Pitch Black North. Uh, is it Beelzebub? I, I don't know. Beelzebub. 
Yes. Yeah, this is this is why I got this is fucking dark, man, mm-hmm. and I love it. <laughs> um, it tastes like a fucking ritual. I mean, I don't know how to explain this thing, but it's fantastic. It's really good. I, I drink like lots of green teas. I like black teas a lot, um, but uh, I don't know. Like tea's so like fluffy and, and fun and shit. And this is like business. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. They don't fuck around. Pitch Black North is the best. They, you know, all the highest quality handcrafted. Uh, this is actually the tea that he made for Cryptopsy. Uh, it's called Nun So Vile, but N-U-N instead of uh, the classic way of spelling Nun. Uh, and of course, there's hops in this one because it's a collab with me. I got to sneak some hops into everything. So it's a black tea with lavender with hops. Love it. Love Pitch Black North. Check it out. Love tea. Um, let's dance into the soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Oh, dude, I fucking 90s country. And I still have a sweet spot really? for 90s country. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I grew up out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, and it was in Northern California, but like, you know, small town and shit. And, uh, my parents really got into, uh, that, the fucking 90s country craze with, uh, you know, uh, Achy Breaky Heart and fucking yeah. Garth Brooks and shit. Line dancing? So, Was that a thing? Yeah. So my parents taught life line dancing. <laughs> uh, I, I can fucking line dance, believe it or not. Um, and uh, my first concert ever, I was nine years old. I went and saw Garth Brooks on his, like, world tour and shit. My uh, my uncle worked at the uh, the Arco Arena in Sacramento and Amazing. got us, like, free tickets and shit. Thunder Rose, so, man. Uh, Thunder Rose. My dad dude, had that CD. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I fucking I love I love Garth Brooks still to this day. Um, so yeah, listening to a lot of that shit. Obviously, I got out of um, that style and moved elsewhere. But all these years later, man, I still like go back. I'm like, fuck, it's a good song. You know? <laughs> Let's go back to when you discovered extreme metal or more extreme music. What was the reaction to that when you brought it into the house? Yeah, uh, growing up, my mom was rather strict. Uh, she had a pretty loose upbringing herself, so um, she wanted my brother and I to be a little more on the straight and narrow path. Um, uh, so church was kind of a part of our routine, and um, checking all of our CDs for the parental advisory and shit. Really? Just like, okay. you know, yeah. You're, Thank you, Tipper Gore, yeah. Yeah, like, you're not allowed to uh, listen to this or that, and so... We, um, you know, it, it kind of started with like uh, Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots. Again, I'm, you know, dating myself here, but I, I grew up in the 90s. So we listened to like some of that kind of stuff and my mom was all right with it. But then when I discovered, um, like some of my first bands I discovered was Cannibal Corpse and uh, Pantera and Slayer. And <laughs> there's no fucking way my mom would allow me to have that shit. So back in the day, they used to have, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, BMG shit, buy 12 CDs for the price of one mail order yeah. thing. Fucking young kids have no idea how, how easy they got it. But, uh, Seriously. <laughs> you have to wait fucking three months for it to show up. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I had like friends at school with shitty parents and they would just be like, they would like 12, 12 years old, they'd have cannibal corpse and everything. And I'm just like, yo dude, I'll trade you fucking. You know, what do you want? And they're just like, uh, you know, give me the new fucking uh, Offspring record or whatever. I'm like, cool. I got the Offspring. They got Cannibal Corpse. We swapped at school. And then I had to stay, keep them hidden from my mom. Shit. Did she ever find them? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally she would find them. But what's cool, though, I want to I want to be very clear here. Uh, when I, uh, there was a certain point when my mom stopped being such a hard ass and uh, 
we were, my brother and I were starting to grow up and mature and everything. And she realized we weren't little kids anymore. So uh, she really lightened up. And my mom's become one of my best friends. And uh, she's extremely supportive of what I do and comes out to my, my shows whenever I play hometowns and can't fucking stand the music that I play, but like <laughs> loves that I'm out here doing what I do, you know, and just no one, no one has been more supportive of, of my, my dream and, and doing this than my mom. That's amazing. That's amazing. How about like once you started playing, uh, was it at that point when she had loosened up on you? <clears throat> yeah, I started playing when I was about 12. And then I'd say maybe around age 16, she kind of started uh, loosening up the reins a little bit. I think around the time I got a car and mm. started going out with the friends and everything. She's just like, I can't can't keep the bird in the nest forever, you know? So, but I used to, you know, I smoked cigarettes and drinking beers and fucking partying and shit with my friends and you know, like my, it's like my friend's moms knew what was going on, but like my mom didn't. She legit thought we were just like hanging out, <laughs> fucking playing fucking cards or some shit, and we're out acting a fool, man. Sorry, moms. Sorry, moms everywhere. Um, yeah, if you, you know, we're gonna kids will be kids. We have to make those mistakes. Uh, hopefully, we we have a strong enough foundation that was instilled into us by our parents to to make the right decisions, even if we're acting a fool, right? You know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like, not driving drunk. Don't drive drunk, kids, if you're listening to this. Um, don't get into a car or someone was drinking. And, um, you know, don't jump off of high things. You know, encourage your friends to. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about, you, you spoke about your first show already about Garth Brooks. How Do you remember your first time on stage? My first time on actual stage. Uh, we, we played some like high school parties, but uh, I do remember um, my first show was at a high school battle of the bands. Um, it was fucking miserable. It was as awful as you could imagine it would be. Um, it was a brand new high school. I just started going there. Um, I was a freshman. Put the slap this band together with my friends and like uh, between like the eight bands battling like fucking nobody wanted to go first. And I was like fucking big dick and it just like, oh, fuck it. We'll go first terrible idea man so uh <laughs> we go up there to like a cold stage and it's fucking it, this is like the days of fucking american pie like everyone's playing fucking pop punk and we're this fucking morbid angel slash deftones fucking project where it's just like oh i like all of these bands like i like black metal and hardcore <laughs> and fucking you know <laughs> it was a disaster man we we sucked we were not good um and uh, people, um, I don't know, my friends were like supportive and everything, but it was just kind of like, yeah, they're doing their thing. They'll, they'll figure it out, you know? And uh, yeah, uh, that, that was it, man. High school. Uh, it is very hard putting together a first band in high school. Uh, I can only imagine, you know, the, the diverse influences. Everyone has a favorite band at that point. So hence the... Yeah massive monstrosity of a project that became mixing deftones with black metal with hardcore but you know you need a drummer sometimes so you gotta you gotta be lenient and, and <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do i mean and again i come from a small town so it's like there's very few fucking people that are into like anything extreme you know <laughs> um i mean our local record like i had to drive an hour to our to the the nearest fucking record store that had like a metal section okay you know uh, so like our local stores, it was just like mainstream shit. Like every once in a while, you might catch uh, something off a of Roadrunner, you know, like a Slipknot or some shit. But mm -hmm. 
yeah, it was it was hard to find anything fucking underground, you know. Uh, at what point did uh, I know for myself it really helped me with my confidence and in high school forming a band, joining a band, being a freshman, brand new high school for you. Uh, how did that affect your your social status? Uh, being in a band and playing that gig. Um, I don't think it actually helped, man. I mean, <laughs> in like middle school, I was an extremely popular kid and the cool kid and this and that. But when I got into high school, I mean, I was experiencing a lot of transitions, you know, with uh, age um, and uh, getting into drugs and not anything too fucking crazy. But I remember doing like acid for the first time and I had like this fucking revelation about um, my thoughts on uh, our existence and, uh, you know, started going down this deep rabbit hole. It was just horribly fucking depressing. And I just realized I couldn't connect with people. Um, I didn't fucking, I didn't like high school very much. I didn't like the system. I just was like, I want to play music. I don't need to fucking learn about fucking history or science or any of this bullshit. I know what I want to do. Uh, so I want to go be rock star. Fuck this. Uh, but just had a really fucking shitty attitude. And frankly, just didn't really fucking like anybody. So halfway through high school, I just, I actually, uh, went to homeschool and started going to college, taking college classes on music and shit. And yeah, I went and got like a fucking full-time job. It was just like, I'm buying gear, taking music classes, fuck people. I'm the fuck out of here. Um, yeah. And, uh, didn't go, didn't, didn't go well for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to put the work, you did the work though. That's the thing. A lot of people just quit, right? But you didn't quit. You, you finished. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, like, my brother and all his friends and everything, you know, oh, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And it's like, when I was 12, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And this is this is it, you know. I'm, I'm exactly where I fucking expected I would be. You just had to take a few detours along the way. The problem was is that I was so um, arrogant uh, that I didn't need anything else. I thought it was just like, you just need dream and forward momentum, and that'll carry you all the way. Um, but you need fucking people, man. You need you need people. You need support, uh, and you need an education. You can't just fuck off all those things about uh, bills and finances and everything because that'll come back and bite you in the ass, you know. Um, so I learned. You know, it took a while. I, I spent uh, I spent about eight years in the Sacramento local scene, playing to f- fucking nobody um, for a very long time, and then it wasn't until I switched to. I, I used to play guitar. I switched to bass guitar. And uh, right before I, uh, it was like 2008, I think. And then uh, like a year later, I contacted Kyle and uh, his old band uh, was up in Portland, Oregon, and they needed a bass player. And then I moved up there and then things kind of radically shifted. But for a long period of time, like good 10 years, I was just like wallowing in the fucking Sacramento scene, just like not fucking getting anywhere, you know? But the dream was always there. And there, there, I, I can only imagine, you know, there's, there's peaks and valleys when you're trying to do something, you get excited about getting a gig and then that goes well and you think it's going to work and then it falls down into it and then you're a bit depressed that it's not working, but you, you persevere through it. So then that's an important thing to do, not giving up and, and making changes that you have to and making those sacrifices of moving probably to Portland to, to join the bio, the band with Kyle, which has turned into vitriol amazing yeah i mean and there's there's so many valuable lessons and i i have i still have people that are you know in their mid-20s that are coming up to me and they're just like oh you know i'm trying to jam with this guy he's more into like blues and rock but i'm trying to do a metal band like what do you think and i'm like i fucking learned that lesson a long fucking time ago like this ain't going anywhere <laughs> brother like uh 
this is uh this has got disaster written all over like you guys are both like really trying to do some wild spacey shit um but i learned so much from the other musicians i played with the other bands i mean uh, there's just these little lessons uh you know on how to promote and how to fucking build a name for yourself how to network you know it's just you can't just bullhead your way through all this shit, which is what I was trying to do and why it took me so fucking long. But yeah, you learn a lot of valuable lessons as I did. And then uh, you put those together and then eventually, you know, I think that is a big reason why Vitriol's kind of doing the things that we're doing. I mean, Kyle and I have both been in a lot of fucking projects and done a lot of shit. And so building the infrastructure of this band, uh, you know, we were, we were doing, we were making all of our mistakes out of the public eye you know, for a long time. And then we built this foundation. And then once we were ready to announce to the world that we're here, um, we came out fucking swinging and it's been going really well. Absolutely. That show that I saw, I was like, holy shit. And I had heard all the hype about uh, to bathe in the throat of cowardice. uh, And I listened to the record. It was so extreme. And then seeing you guys, I was like, this band is a force to be reckoned with. And I really felt that you guys were, just blowing up and then pandemic. So I'm happy to see that you guys are still doing really well now that things are rolling again. But was there a moment as it was when you were in the Sacramento area of the peaks and valleys of your career? Was there a moment of a depressed sadness? Like, Oh shit, we're doing it. We're doing it. Pandemic take it away from us. Was there a moment of, Oh, it's all happening again. Like where you're in that Valley rather than the peak again. Honestly, like, it was a little bit of a bummer, but we've had so many, like me and Kyle have had so many situations like that happen over the last fucking 12 years that it was just kind of like, uh, Here fucking here's just another one. <laughs> I mean, we had a, in our previous band, we were, we drove all the way across the country to fly out of Europe, uh, for our first European tour and Iceland volcano erupted, canceled the tour, had to turn around and drive all the way back across the country. Then the whole band broke up. That drive must've uh, been horrible. Yeah, it was like 48 hours straight. And just the mood um, of it. The mood must yeah. have been fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, man. And then, you know, a couple years later, Kyle and I are, you know, beginning days of vitriol. And, you know, he experienced a death in the family. I had a death in the family. My best friend had died uh, back home. So dealing with that shit. And then I went off to fucking rehab for a while. Kyle, a couple years ago, had fucking this crazy surgery and he almost died from it. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, it was just one thing after another. We just like, every time we're about to like fucking, this thing's about to grow legs and start fucking walking, something terrible would happen. It just set us back. So we finally got the album out. We're like, we fucking did it. Holy shit. If nothing else happens, the world fucking blows up. You know, then at least we fucking did that. And then, and then the whole world shuts down and we're like, yeah, fucking no surprise there. You know? <laughs> well, you guys are, you're, you're powering through it. And I, I'm proud of you guys for that. Keep doing that. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer 
and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. This is a sober episode. You've mentioned a few times drugs in high school, drinking. Uh, you just mentioned rehab. Uh, talk to me about your sobriety, please. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll keep it brief. Like, growing up, uh, alcoholic family, um, I, you know, and listening to the music I do, I, I worship those Pantera fucking VHS. I fuck, and that's still to this day my favorite band. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to party. I want to hang out with girls, get fucked up every day, and play live music. That's all I ever wanted to do. And um, I'd lived that way through high school. And I remember being that guy in high school that was just party guy. And uh, I'm an extremely depressed person, um, naturally. So the alcohol was just making me like, extremely like suicidal and shit. And so I've just been battling the self-loathing fucking existence all throughout my teens all throughout my 20s and when i had i was uh 25 when i had moved up to portland uh to join kyle's band and you know a couple tours and the band fell apart so it's like i gave up everything in california i gave up my you know my girlfriend the the, the job the house uh everything moved to fucking portland uh gave everything up in sacramento and then the band falls apart the one thing that i came up there for so i was just fucking drowning myself with alcohol every day just feeling sorry for myself and that continued throughout my entire 20s, man. And I just fucked off my entire 20s. I didn't do shit. I really just didn't do fucking anything but loads and multiple suicide attempts. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, a lot of people said, hey, maybe you got a drinking problem. I'm like, nah, dude, I, I quit for like two months and like nothing changed. Life still sucks. Fuck everything. Um, and then uh, one day out of desperation, I was just, I was drinking, you know, 6 a.m. until about midnight. Uh, going to work, just like trying to suffer through my job while not drinking. And then I'd have like a shot on lunch and then I'm just like fucking shaking and shit. And, um, I knew I had, a, I, there was, there was a point when it went off the fucking rails and I was like, I cannot for the life of me fucking stop drinking. Um, every day I promised myself that would be the day that I quit. And every day I'd get off work and go to the gas station and get a couple beers and drink them on the way home from work like i couldn't wait 15 minutes to get home to start drinking and then that's like almost like every day you're letting yourself down too yeah and so it's fueling the depression mm -hmm. and then i'm drinking because of it and so uh it finally came to a head and i was like i'm done i'm sick of half-assed suicide attempts and i'm sick of fucking this so um i'm gonna i'm gonna do rehab and if it doesn't work i'm fucking ending it no more fucking pills or anything just getting a gun blowing my brains out and uh so that really was the last ditch effort i called a fucking rehab clinic uh they assessed me and did like some research on me and to talk to me about my childhood and yada 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 and they're like yeah bro like you fucking need to be here <laughs> so i went in and uh yeah i mean it was one of the greatest experiences of my life i thought it was gonna be miserable you, you see like on tv or movies yeah yeah and they're like oh everyone's fucking crying and you're really getting in touch with your inner self and all this shit and there is that don't get me wrong there's hard emotional leaps you have to make there, but um, they provide a facility where you don't have to do anything but that. You don't have to fucking work. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything, man. You just wake up, you exercise, and you work on your fucking brain. You know, you work on your attitude. 
Um, and I had a great time. I met some really awesome people, and I got out of there. And the success rate, unfortunately, is extremely low. But uh, I'm proud to say that of like the 60 people I was there with, I'm to this day I'm the only person that still hasn't had a relapse or anything. Holy so, shit! Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, coming up on eight years now. So. Congrats to you for that, because we're happy that yeah, you're here. You. <laughs> it's there'd be no vitriol, there'd be no you, the human, if it didn't work. So, so I'm very happy that it worked. Were you afraid yeah, when man. you were leaving? That you would relapse, because as you mentioned, one out of 60, I thought it was one out of eight, I was going to say, but one out of 60 is, is crazy. Were, were, is there a fear when you're leaving, or is there a, I'm ready, I can attack the world now? Oh, there, a little bit of both. I mean, um, you know, I know the people that did relapse, some of them, it was just one drink, and then they got it. Um, some people died, but, and that was the thing, is like, people are kind of coming in and leaving, um, and so you know, you're, you're about to get out in a week and you hear that so-and-so, uh, that was a heroin addict just fucking, uh, left last night and he's fucking dead this morning. And you're like, shit, this is real. This is, this is a real deal. So, uh, a little bit of apprehension, a little, little bit of, you're in this bubble, you're in this protective place. You're, so you're a little scared of going back to the real world and fucking up. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I went in there, like it's all or nothing. So I was like, I have to fucking make this work. Uh, I don't really have a choice but to do this because the other option is fucking blowing my brains out. I already made that fucking commitment to myself. So I, I got to make this fucking work. And so with that, I had a lot of uh, a lot of pride in being sober and fucking just getting out there and attacking the world. And then, yeah, real briefly, like about a year later, because I continued to do like the AA and uh, recovery support and uh, the outpatient program and stuff. So I spent a year like really fucking working on myself. Um and then I got an offer to do a tour with a band. And after that, I was also planning a backpacking trip around the world. And everybody in my recovery support group was like, you're out of your fucking mind, dude. Like, you can't go, like, travel around the world. You're going to fucking stress out and fucking get drunk. You're going to be in India and fucking die or some shit. Um, and I went for it, man, because I'm a fucking asshole. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I did it. I did the fucking tour. Wow. I traveled around the world for, like, two months. And I came home. And then I got picked up from the airport in Denver by the same band and finished like two weeks of a tour and then came home and was just like, yeah, not a, not a fucking drop of alcohol, man. Fucking suck my, my dick. You know, did it. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of that. I think that like my recovery people, um, although they're looking out for my best interest, there's a certain fucking pride that I have of just like proving everyone wrong. Um, and they're just like, you're not, you're not going to be able to make it. And I was like, I will show you someone that can't make it. Amazing. What a, what a story. Thank you. What a, what a story. Congrats to you and then keep it going. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of now sober people uh, through doing the podcast and a lot of people end up replacing the bad vice with something new, different. You mentioned exercise. Uh, a lot of people get really, you know, the isms are there still. You take the alcohol away, but the isms don't go away, is what Jason Rockman has told me, who is sober for over 25 years now. So uh, talk to me about what isms you've replaced the alcohol with. Uh, I've, come, I've become quite a bit of an alcohol, or an alcoholic, a uh, workaholic. Um, yeah, I'm busy a lot. I, uh, I have the screen printing business, so I'm down there a lot. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm working on vitriol, so... I'm uh, very OCD and just like got to get shit done. I can't like it's business before pleasure. And because of that, I'm kind of a fucking crotchety old man. 
uh, that no one wants to hang out with. <laughs> Did you have to change your whole circle of friends once you were sober? Uh, kind of. I mean, that was kind of the benefit of moving up to Portland. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I didn't really have any friends. That was, uh, you know, one of the things that made me so depressed. And then, like, my best friend back home had died from drugs and alcohol. And his death also played a huge role in me getting clean. But, you know, and in rehab, they're like, you're not going to want to hang out with those friends. I'm like, fuck you. These are people that I went to high school with. Like, I love these people. And they're like, trust me, you're just not going to want to anymore. And when you get sober, you're like, yeah, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of people fucking partying all the damn time. Um, so I made new friends. And uh, I made some of the strongest friendships I've ever had. Uh, with people in recovery. Yeah, it really wasn't too much of a problem. I still talk to some old friends, but I don't really hang out with them too much. I can be around it, but I'm trying to build shit. You know, I'm trying to build this band. I'm trying to build a business. That's what's important to me. Like going out, partying, spending a bunch of money, it's not really uh, of interest to me anymore. You know, I'm kind of, uh, in a way, kind of grown out of that that party mentality. You did it. You did it for, for all your 20s, so... You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah check that off the list, man. I did more than enough the last lifetime. Exactly. Uh, how about if someone's listening to this and they feel like they're in that same state where you were at, where every day is, is a new letdown because they wake up saying, I'm not going to drink today. And what would you say? What would you wish someone had told you, basically? What would be the advice for that person listening? I think you really... Uh I think you really need to talk to someone. It's uh, it's, it can be a very hard thing to do, but uh, there's a lot of us out here in the world. There's a lot of people. Um, they may not even be alcoholics or drug addicts, but they are suffering from something. There's a lot of people that need help. I went and talked to my boss. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he struggled with some mental fucking problems. And when I talked to him, I was like, hey, man, I got a drinking problem. I got to go to rehab. If you need to fire me, I understand. And he was just like, fire you. Fuck, man, I'm going to help you. Like, um, let's call up H and R and see what we can do for insurance and get you in there and all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's a lot of people in this world that are willing to help. You gotta, you just gotta ask. Um, and that, that could be a hard thing to do, but I think that really is the first step is, um, just reaching out to someone. Cause if, if you don't tell anybody, no one knows how much you're suffering, you know? Uh, but yeah, I've talked to uh, several fans that have come up to me and just, you know, ask for some advice and I try to tell them, you know, talk about it maybe go to an AA meeting or something like that. I did AA for a couple of years. It did wonders for me. I do not go anymore for my own personal reasons, but, uh, you know, there's meetings out there, there's books, there's resources. You just gotta, you just gotta ask. You just gotta be willing to, to be vulnerable with someone and let them know that you have a problem. And that's perfectly, perfectly fine to, to be vulnerable. Even if we're tough metal dudes, we have feelings, we are humans and humans need, to feel okay and we all deserve to feel okay and we deserve to be the best humans that we can be yeah and i want to be very clear uh you know talking about sobriety and stuff a lot of a lot of times it can be misunderstood uh you know there's a lot of people in this world that don't that don't have a problem you know there's a lot of people that can have a couple of drinks and that's and they're fine and so uh i'm not saying that anybody that drinks alcohol is a has got a problem and they need some fucking help or anything like that so they, there's a lot of normal people. I'm just not one of them. I, I, I get carried away and there's a lot of people that do. And if you do get carried away, if you are someone like me, there's fucking, there's resources. Uh, you can reach out, fucking send me a goddamn message. I'll fucking, I'll help you. I, uh, 
so yeah, I don't, I don't want to come off the wrong way. It's, you know, alcohol is bad or anything like that. Alcohol is a shit, man. It's fucking awesome. I wish I could still drink it. <laughs> you know, I love it, but that's an excellent, excellent point and very nice of you uh, to offer to be there for people for fans uh, in need um i had a great conversation with mike ashton uh, who used to be in vitriol uh, he most definitely is not sober or liz was not when i was hanging out with him he talked about a whole bunch of fun things he likes to do uh after we stopped recording and i probably edited most of it out of the episode if he did <laughs> but he definitely liked his beer too um, talk to me about new vitriol. Uh, you mentioned that you're working on a new record. Uh, what can people expect? Uh, sadly, Mike's not with the band anymore. He was, um, I had a good time with him. You guys are killing it nonetheless without him. So, so talk to me about the new stuff without Mike. Yeah. Uh, Mike's a cool dude. Um, he, uh, he knows a lot of shit about beer, man. That guy fucking, he's a damn encyclopedia. Uh, and it was a pleasure touring with him in Europe because he was just, we went to Bamberg, which is like the oldest brewery in the world and shit. Um, and uh, he likes it so much that uh, about a year ago, he kind of decided, you know, he has his own band um, and he, he's got a couple of buddies. They kind of wanted to start a brewery. They were kicking around the idea of doing that. So it sounded like he was going to be rather busy and wasn't going to be able to dedicate the proper amount of time that vitriol requires of him. Um, so he decided to step away and, uh, you know, wish him the best of luck, no hard feelings. Uh, so with that, um, we invited uh, a good friend, uh, Stephen. Hey. <laughs> he just popped his head in if people are wondering. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Ellis, everyone. Uh, no, he's uh, – he, Stephen tried out for our band like 10 years ago and just didn't quite have the chops or whatever, but he's, he's a fucking insane guitar player, and there's few people on this planet that can play with Kyle Rice. So uh, Stephen being one of them, so we invited him in. Uh, it's been great. He's a goofball. Uh, I'm the grumpy old man, so he keeps me um, he keeps me chill. He he helps uh, uh, keep me in good spirits and stuff. So he's been an absolute pleasure to have. Uh, but yeah, just working on the new album. Kyle and I pretty much wrote all of the first album, mostly Kyle. Uh, I contributed a little bit, and then this new record has been pretty much all Kyle and I. Uh, I program drums. Uh, he writes the guitar riffs, and we both work with each other on you know the direction of the song i give him advice on his guitar riffs he gives me advice on the drums and then i'm going to be writing the bass he's going to write the vocals so when this whole thing's done you know uh, we would like to incorporate more people later in the process but the whole foundation of the record has been the two of us just fucking grinding is, is it a pleasure working and writing like that or do you guys have to fight it out uh no we actually get along really well with the process uh i think the first record we've figured out a lot of uh solved a lot of issues uh, so it's like a relationship eh? i've been with my wife for over 20 years you know and the first we had our most fights what in the first five <laughs> now we don't yeah fight. exactly <laughs> yeah i mean uh me and kyle we go way back with one another and uh we still you know fucking we have a, a language where we communicate with one another and if there is a problem <laughs> we can solve it uh, it hasn't always been like that but uh <laughs> it is now so good <laughs> uh but yeah, it's 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 not about individuals and vitriol. It's always been about elevating the the band itself. So it's not about Kyle. It's not about Adam. Uh, it's about both of us working together to make vitriol the best thing that vitriol can be. Um, and that's a pretty high priority for anybody that works with us. Um, we need that to be the main goal. Um, and it's why it takes a little bit of time for us to get 
some things done. We've been working on this record for a little while, but it's got to be right. And we're not going to put out some subpar record. We're going to put out something that we can feel when, when we're done with it, that we did everything we could to make it as the best it could possibly be. Absolutely. What what can people expect? Uh, the last one was goddamn intense. That's like the, the main word that comes to mind when I think of you guys and that past record. Uh, t- talk to me. What, what can people expect? Is it a, an advancement on that? Uh, is there going to be full of synth on it uh, <laughs> as someone else has done? No. But <laughs> I, I really like that album. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, we, um, I think this record is going to be a lot darker. Um, it's still very much vitriol at heart, but I think uh, we've got some slower, heavier stuff that's going to be appearing on this record as well as... Uh, uh, I think more black metal influence. Uh, we've always had a strong black metal element to the band, uh, but we don't, we don't want to write the same album. We, we know that. We already did to bathe. We're not trying to write a watered-down version of the same thing. Um, but we're still working out kinks. There's still a lot of development going on, so we'll see what ends up happening. But I, I personally believe that it's, it's darker and it's, and it's got like slower, more crushing, heavier moments to it. So uh, it's, we wanted to, we want to grow, but we're not trying to do Metallica's Black Album. We're not trying to change who we are. You know, it's just trying to to, to evolve. And I think uh, I think we've we've done a really good job at that so far. Does that stem from having toured the material and seeing what works? Is that something that you guys do? Uh, knowing that, oh, riffs like this, parts like this work well in a concert setting. So you want to incorporate more stuff like that in future records? Fuck, if uh, if we went off the response of the crowd, we should probably write the same album. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking, people fucking love how intense it is. And I it's so intense. Fuck, man, it's great. <laughs> uh, but uh, we don't, you know, like I said, we don't want to write the same album. So I think, I think people are always going to get the same vitriol experience when they come see us live. Um, but that is very important that we we hold on to that. There is uh, there's a certain aggression about this band that we can't lose. We can't lose sight of. So no matter which directions we start to uh, branch into, it still at its heart needs to be just fucking vicious. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing. So, um, something that I and it makes sense to me now that I'm speaking to you. I was always like, "Fuck, man, Vitro has the sickest merch." And now I know why. It's because you make it and you work on a screen printing thing. Talk, talk to me about that because I always, I really remember I've, I've like sent Cryptopsy. I'm like, look at this merch that they made. I remember doing it. And it's like, this is a good idea. No one does merch like this, you know? Like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, we, uh, when I, I started a, a merch company many years ago and it was kind of around the time when Vitriol started getting uh, some notice, some recognition. We put out our EP. Um, and Kyle, Kyle's the creative driving force in this band, so he's got really fantastic ideas, or he knows where to find the artists that can execute fantastic ideas. So he's uh, he's the brains of the operation for that. And then he comes to me and he's just like, uh, "Here's idea. Uh, I want it on this color shirt. Like, fucking put it together, make it happen." So I'm, I'm that's where I step in and just get the shit done, you know. Um, so a lot of the ideas stem from Kyle, but I'm the one that uh, is able to execute them because I know the screen printing process. Uh, and that has worked fantastic in our favor. However, a couple of years ago, it got to the point where between touring um, and what we were selling online, I was gone so often that I couldn't keep up with the orders. So we branched out to various companies that have printed for us. 
Um, again, these are our ideas that are being printed. Um, but uh, I'm looking to build my business. We're about to take the next step into launching into a new chapter. So I think I will be able to start taking on digital prints again. And we're looking to try to keep things fucking creative, uh, new, fresh. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a win-win situation. You know, when the band feeds my business, my business feeds my band. You know, that's I think it's a good way to be in this industry. Very smart, man. But you're, you're, they're very cool merch ideas. Without it being, this is me just being an old man on my side here, they're not too trendy. We're seeing a lot yeah. of, uh, and I don't want to name bands, but we all know who I'm thinking about that has an awesome merch company, but it's too cool. I wouldn't wear, it's, I wouldn't wear this new cool merch that everyone's making, the tie-dye stuff. And but you, you, Yours is more classic. Yeah, I mean, the tie-dye stuff is uh, looks fucking awesome. And shout, shout out to Kyle from brand of sacrifice yeah who's killing it on that yeah oh man yeah it's incredible it's not something that i personally wear and i think our fan base isn't crazy about it so probably not something we're gonna do but yeah fucking by all means man like kyle's killing it keep it up fucking cheers to you mate seriously he was just uh, he was just uh, featured in forbes so <laughs> he's doing something oh right. shit <laughs> I, something that, right. fuck, man. <laughs> uh, I love collabs um obviously uh tea collab i released 35 beers in the past year uh if you oh, could yeah. do a collab not a beer something else what would be a perfect collab for vitriol um something that you would be proud of having with your logo oh, on it fuck with my logo on it hmm that's a fucking good one I mean, are we talking practical or are we talking fucking... Oh, we, we're living in space. We can do whatever we want, yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, uh, fucking a helicopter would be pretty fucking tight. That would be... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was talking to my manager about this earlier in tour because at the beginning of this tour, we hit an ice storm and we actually went off the road twice. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, fucked up our trailer on the first one. Fortunately, no one got hurt. The van's all right. Had to rent a trailer and then went off the road again. Um and so I hit up my manager and I was like, yo, dude, can we get a fucking helicopter? <laughs> it's it's going to be a little while before we get aboard one of those. But, the, the, uh, the, vitri, the Vitricopter. The, yeah, dude, like fucking <laughs> Death Clock's got one. Why can't we have one? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> one last question. I typically ask what a hangover cure is, but I'm not going to ask you that. I would like to hear what, what the silver lining of the pandemic has been for you. I think it's given me time to think, time to assess um, what it is I'm doing with my life. Uh, it's given us time to figure out the next moves for vitriol. It's given me time to figure out the next moves for business. Um, you know, as you know, there's not a great deal of money in the, uh, extreme death metal industry. So we got to find other ways to, uh, support our lifestyles. And, uh, so it's really important to have that on the back end. And so building my business as well as, uh, building the band, I think has just been, um, a good opportunity. Uh, if we were out on tour, if we were as busy as we were supposed to be, I wouldn't have had a whole lot of time to do uh, to do that. And it would have been great. I wouldn't be fucking complaining about getting to tour the world, you know. Um, but I would probably be in a much different position financially. So, um, yeah, just trying to keep the class half full. I love it. Adam, thank you so, so much for taking time hanging out with me, talking about your life, talking about music, talking about sobriety. I had an absolute blast, and I'm wishing you uh, a killer show tonight because you are about to play a show, and I'm jealous of that. I'll say it again. And I hope you have a great rest of the tour. 
Uh, by the time this comes out, the tour will be done, but she'll be probably going on another tour shortly. This has been amazing. Uh, massive cheers to you. I greatly, greatly appreciate you taking the time. Hey, cheers, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's been a great time. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an eye-opening conversation. Just so deep, so honest. What a fantastic conversation. When I finished, I felt like we had touched on some really important topics, some very, very important topics that I'm very happy that Adam took the time to share with us and all of you. Massive cheers to Adam for being so honest and open about his journey towards sobriety. I am just so stoked that he found the right path and that he's still on that path and he's killing it with Virtual. I cannot wait to see them live again so they can melt my face off. I cannot wait to do, hopefully, tour with them in the future with Cryptopsy. That would just be super sick. Massive cheers to Adam. Thank you so much, so, so much for taking the time to be a guest on Vox and Hops and to open up so much about your sobriety. I really, really appreciated that. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Mental Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive two emails a month, which will contain all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You will get to see which episodes I have dropped recently, which guests I have coming up. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You'll get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. And you will be the people that I will tell about any new projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. There is just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. I'd hate for you to miss a single thing. So sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a glorious rest of the week. I will be back next week with yet again one episode on Tuesday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 